Welcome to PostersBuy.com's official podcast. I'm Jack Woodhams, founder of the website and your host. In this episode, I chat to James Henshaw, who co-founded Vice Press along with illustrator Matt Ferguson in 2015. This is a hugely insightful episode that covers many aspects of how James and Matt run the gallery and what they look for when working with artists. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can visit our Patreon, where you'll unlock extended versions of all of our episodes and a whole lot more. Simply head to patreon.com slash posterspy. Firstly, James, thank you so much for joining me on the Post Spy podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's kind of weird because I've known you for years, actually. We've known each other and of each other for a long time. And this is actually the first time we're sitting down and having like a real conversation. Professional chat. A professional chat. A professional chat. We have. We've, um, we've spoken quite on and off for probably, what, five years, maybe? Maybe a bit longer. Probably, yeah. Long time. Have we ever met face to face? I can't remember. I'm not sure. I take it you went to Matt's show in Leeds. Oh, yeah. You, you came to that, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, because I designed the book for that. Yes. Yes. You did. So I would have <laughs> yes, met you, you briefly. Yeah. Crikey. You know what? It's just, um, it's so weird with, with so many people that you talk to quite regularly. So Florrie's the same. So Florrie lives in Australia. We talk every day, me, Matt and Florrie. And um, we've probably, we've only met in person once for the Amblinesque show that we did. But it's, you get that familiarity with certain people, um, you know, and there's a couple of other folks that you speak to quite regularly. Um, and even if you've probably only met. So, it's, yes, it's quite an interesting one. The world of the magic of the Internet. eh? Well, yeah, I mean, and that leads me really well into my first question, because my first question for you is about how you and Matt met. Because, you know, the Internet, like you said, it's such an easy way to meet people who yeah. share interests and things like that. Um, and you set Vice Press up with Matt back in 2015, which seems yeah. like ages ago now. You met Matt and you were working at a bank at the time. Yeah, met on Tinder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't meet on Tinder. I almost believed you then. I actually was almost like, what? <laughs> no, we didn't meet on Tinder. Um, yeah, we, um, yeah, so I was working uh, when I had a day job. Um, and I used to write for film websites and things along those lines. So I've worked, I worked professionally in a bank for nearly 20 years. Um, God, I know I don't look that old. <laughs> and that's an interesting one because, you know, um, I was going to just say, sorry, usually those two worlds don't tend to collide too often. People that work no. in banking and then people that work in you know, illustration and art. Usually it's like the opposite. It's like they stay away from each other. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've kind of like, I mean, I, d I don't know how much you want to kind of delve into, into, into my history, but I've always kind of... Um, so I've always been into pop culture. I've always been into creative stuff. When I was much younger, I used to try and draw and illustrate and things like that. I wasn't particularly good at it, but I wasn't awful at it. But I gave that up as a bad job. And then I wanted to be a writer and do bits and bobs along those lines. But then um, academically, I've already always done okay. Uh, but then went didn't go to university, but got jumped into a job in finance because I've always been naturally okay with. Um, with numbers. Uh, but I've always had that creative itch. So um, I started writing for a film website or film websites doing reviews and articles and things. I did that. God, I've done that for years. I, I did that for years, probably 15 years, not big ones, just like small blogs and things like that. You like kind of ain't it cool kind of level, but I never wrote for those, thankfully, considering with hindsight. Um, uh, so then when I got into poster collecting, I thought I'd start a blog 
doing the whole poster collecting thing and talking about new releases, talking about what was coming up, interviewing artists and doing stuff like that. Um, Matt lives quite local to me. So I reached out for an interview and um, we just went and got some beers in Sheffield and had a chat. And it just escalated from there. Escal- I mean, escalated is a negative word, but um, it just moved on from there. So we um, we became really friendly. We um, started kind of um, hanging around with our respective wives as they are now, going out for meals and things. And we had we shared a collective interest. So yeah, we'd, we'd met at Thought Bubble. I'd kind of been to see him at Thought Bubble, bought stuff off of him. So it was around the year when his original, He Stole My Balloons, came out the one that Bottleneck have just re-released as a 24 by 36. So what, eight years, nine years, nine years ago, wow. we probably started um, kind of um, hanging around to a degree, like eight, eight, nine years. Um, yeah, we just became friendly. And then over time, we kind of realized we had these mutual interests. Uh, and we both had the idea of kind of um, Matt was starting to do well Matt was working professionally at that time I'm not steal his thunder he could talk about all of that but he had an interest in doing more licensed work uh, and I liked the idea of um getting into doing um posters and things along those lines I'd always had my heart set on being or running my own business doing something um while I'd worked in finances for a long time my kind of overall career goal or personal goal or whatever that may be was to work for myself and to have run my own business and do something along those lines. Um, but I never really had any great ideas or anything. So we decided to set up Vice Press because we both shared a common interest, both shared a common goal um, with a with a with a view to um to doing that. So that's really where we met through doing the interviews and being in the poster world and just getting on. Location had a huge amount to do with it as well. We were both quite local. I worked in Sheffield quite a lot so it was quite convenient to get together and stuff so yeah that's where we we became friends and um yeah that kind of friendship then moved into a professional relationship so it's almost like the stars aligned for you both just at the yeah. right time you met you managed to get this company up and running i'm interested though how did that conversation happen because i know it probably was a long thing over time but was there one of you in particular that was like let's do this thing i've got this you know- idea let's do this thing you know what? I honestly can't remember. And that's probably one of the good things about, because everything we do, and I, I don't think a lot of people, people that know Vice Press, I probably don't think they realize how equal Vice Press is in terms of what we do. There's very much a yin and yang in terms of what we do. So things like that, I think it's quite nice when you can't remember who came up with something because nobody owns it. Sure. Nobody owns that idea. So one person can, can't turn around and go, not that we ever would, can't go, well, that was my idea or this was my idea or whatever. So it's kind of nice. And it's same as like um, being called Vice Press. I don't know which one of us. We had a huge list of names, some more terrible than others. Um, naming a company is the hardest thing in the world to do, man. Um, oh, yeah, I know. I think, do you know what? I think when I named Posters by, it was like a complete one, like one night I was just like, this will yeah. do. This will do With, without thinking of any long term <laughs> things, you know, repercussions at all. I just thought this will do. Yeah. And, you know, now, you know, it's become what it's become. Um, but I've tried to set up, you know, other businesses in the past and think about names for things. And you're right. It's so hard. You can spend yeah. weeks just thinking this is terrible. This is terrible. It's, it's this is terrible. Because the first thing you try and do is jump to a portmanteau or something like that. And it's or abbreviations or whatever. 
And um, yeah, but no. So um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember myself. I think I no. I I asked um, who sort of came up with it, and you were saying it's nice that. Um, yeah. no one in particular owns it it's very much a collaborative thing yeah we both had our goals so matt really wanted to do license stuff and kind of do this eclectic license stuff like 2000 ad and um that was a huge shared passion of both of us and start to do british films and things like that we never set vice press out to be a movie poster company we never said okay let's do let's be mondo let's be bottleneck we didn't want to do that we actively wanted to go the other way and kind of just do more art prints and and kind of focus on comics and things like along those lines um we um but then we kind of decided to take those restrictions off ourselves because i think it's somewhat pointless you've got to let things happen organically and we had opportunities that just arose organically like getting into movie posters was because we wanted to do Shaun of the dead um and kind of do stuff around that but then in order to justify that license we had to build in other stuff as well so, um, yeah, so it kind of, I think when things happen organically and change happens organically, I'd never, I'd never suggest on the business side of things, I'd never suggest to anybody that they start a business without a plan. Everything we've done is very thought out and very thoroughly kind of, or it, it's kind of the finances are looked at. We look at what the opportunities are. There is a bit of a leap of faith and you kind of have to stick your finger in an air to, to a degree. But um, but also you can do that in an organic way. It's just being a bit more sensible. I think um, there's a lot of um, people that try and start these things as as hobby businesses, which is all well and good and great, um, and it fizzles out. But you you do really have to you have to be robust in how you think things through. And okay, what is the what is the kind of um, logistics of all of this? Okay, I might do X, Y, and Z, but then how do I deal with that? And how do I deal with the shipping? And how do I deal with the space? And how do I deal with the storage? And what happens if they don't set? There's loads of stuff you have to do, and that's the stuff that takes the thinking through. Again, there you go. There's another answer to a question you didn't ask. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I'm looking at some of my questions and I'm like, hmm. We've covered a few of these with, with this one with this one answer. Um, no, it, it is really nice to hear that that you and Matt, you know, you share the responsibilities. And one thing I did want to ask you was, you know, how much of it is fifty fifty? I mean, do you have set sort of roles, or is it because I don't really know that much about how you guys operate by express? Um, and I think for the outsides, it seems more like you know Matt might have more control over, say, like creative things or the art stuff, and you might be more the business side. But it sounds to me like you're you're both very sort of fifty fifty on that. Yeah, I mean, we do have kind of like, I guess, our little silos in terms of it's it's kind of like um, silos is even the wrong word because it's not a silo. We have our specialities, if you will, like Matt, I'd never ask Matt to do a, a royalty report and equally he'd never asked me to jump into Photoshop and tweak something for a poster artist that just needs a little bit of an idea of how to take something. So we both have our kind of wheelhouses, I think is probably a, a good way of describing it. Um, but everything we discuss through everything. So like if we get an artist that sends something in, we 99 times out of a hundred, we both see it and we both have a chat about it and we both talk it through. And when we're going through a license, we both look at the fees. We both look at the affordability and we both look at it. We'll both kind of then have our little, then we'll go off and do it. I guess it's like how a really good analogy, um, actually was, 
I was listening to a podcast and it was the guys that wrote the league of gentlemen mm-hmm. and they kind of have their little things. So they both, they all sit around together and agree how an episode's going to go. And then one goes off and starts uh, writes the beginning. One does the middle, one does the end. I think it was it, league of gentlemen. Um, and then they come back and they discuss it and they keep doing that and rewriting until it's got one consistent voice across the whole thing. And I think that's a very clumsy way of describing like how, how me and Matt work really. We're both very much hands-on, um, but we both have our kind of wheelhouses and we both kind of trust each other to, um, to do it. That was a really good explanation, to be honest. Oh, thank you. There we go. Yeah, because business it, advice. Yeah, because having that for all of your public speaking needs. <laughs> no, but having that that you know you're both tackling it as well as you can together, and it's interesting because technically you know people always say that setting up businesses with your friends is like the worst idea ever, and yet you two became friends first and then set up the business. It's almost like you've gone against the status quo there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, I think the other thing to bear in it. So that's a very good point. I think you. I, I think the whole um being friends with somebody it's all right i heard a thud um when you're friends with somebody and you kind of start a business it's not so much don't go into a business with somebody i think i'd say don't go into business with somebody who you're not comfortable with being honest with that's probably the best way to look at it like both me and matt in our own ways are very honest with each other um we have debates we have discussions but we're very honest with each other we don't take it personally when one doesn't agree with the other um i mean probably in that in that kind of scenario i'm probably a little bit more um oh uh probably a little bit more not hmm. i'm trying to think of a better word of saying needy <laughs> um, uh, i don't like i don't like offending people <laughs> ah, okay, i don't like okay. offending people but i will be honest with people and i don't like upsetting them and i think one of the backgrounds in my career in finance has taught me was how to deal with situations where you had to um and management and things because i used to work in bits and bobs um along that was how to deal with people and have conversations with people in a way that where you kind of have, you you put in your ideas across or you point across and things like that um without offending so, anybody or it becoming yeah. more of a battle than a conversation so in terms of starting up with a business with someone it's like don't start a business with someone that you can't i'd ignore the whole friend thing um i'd just say don't start a business with somebody that you can't have an honest conversation with that's that's very much it and i think where that whole thing about friends is is people don't want to break up friendships because they have to have a difficult conversation. Yeah. And I think it's about how you have those conversations, um, which, um, you know, which me and Matt, which me and Matt can have. And you mentioned earlier some of your skills coming from your experience working at a bank. Mm. Is there anything else that you've noticed sort of trickles down and really helps vice press sort of flow? So I have a certain set of skills. Um, um not hunting for kidnapped daughters um the yeah so again i'm kind of not under any i'm in quite a unique position because i've kind of from my background so when i work so I, i've worked in banking for like say for 20 years i've done everything from management to area directing and all the kind of <clears throat> stuff along those lines my 
my attitude with banking was always very much um you've got to treat people fairly there's a lot of people within the banking and finance industry that are crooks there's a lot of people that are car sales that's unfair on car salesmen there's a lot of people that are shysters basically um and i think my kind of i always built my career on doing things the right way doing them in a credible way and i did manage to do my job i wasn't the best all the time but i was always and generally the people that were the best were doing stuff dodgy not all the time but most of them so we always did things in a credible way or at least i tried to do it and do that with my team and it's frustrating when you see people doing better than you that are doing it because they're doing wrong so i think you've there's kind of a credibility that i have there in an industry that is not very credible and doesn't have many kind of people that are um fans of it there are individuals within it so there's kind of how to operate professionally i think is a good one but then also there's the boring stuff as well like contract negotiations and dealing with people at varying levels and things because um as i moved through my career at barclays i was dealing with oh yeah that's who i worked for um <laughs> it's on my linkedin um yes um so as i worked worked through my career like i had a lot of high profile clients and things along those lines and dealt with people um at a very senior level in dealing with kind of um lots of money so it yeah it there's a lot that is transferable in terms of how you deal with certain things and how you approach it but again, it's the it's the boring side of stuff. That's not to say that somebody without what I have can't do it because there's a lot of things I've been on a huge learning curve. Like I've never been a small business owner. Um, I find it quite interesting when like you get all of these people that are telling people how to run a business and how you should work and what you should do that have never run a business before themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there, I think doesn't mean necessarily mean that they haven't got the academics behind it but they've never really put that into practice um i think um it's the other side of the fence for me i've kind of done it the other way the other way around um but that in itself has kind of there's been its own kind of learning curve in terms of what you do and how you kind of have to deal with both people because you're dealing with your money or you're dealing with your company's money you're not dealing with somebody else's so you've kind of got um the book stops very much with you and that's exciting but it's also scary as well speaking of uh, lots of money i'm interested to know how much capital it takes to set up something like vice press okay so businesses when it all depends on i guess what your goal is so i will answer your question directly this isn't a politician's answer well it is but it's i'll come back to it and i will answer it directly so our goal initially both me and matt had jobs we both had income coming in so we didn't need to take an income for Vice Press. In fact, we didn't take income from Vice Press until the past year. So we took out nothing personally until a year ago, until this last financial year. So we never we wanted to grow organically. We wanted to kind of put in our starting capital, get a return on that, use that to reinvest, use that to reinvest, and so on and so forth. So our overall, I think we started vice press with nine thousand pounds in total like half and a half so it wasn't a huge amount in the grand scheme of things um and we just kept reinvesting that reinvesting that we wanted to make sure we paid artists fairly as well like there's some horror stories around how much people get paid and we wanted to be kind of transparent with it um 
And we kind of, and again, we didn't want to price ourselves out of the market as well in terms of what we do. So again, in terms of when you set up a business, it's about researching what you're going to need to do to keep your business going for a set period of time if you don't earn any money back. So there's no magic number to set up a business. You've got to look at, okay, right, I want six months worth of um, stock or releases or products or whatever it is you're doing. Um, But what happens if I don't get a return on any of that in that six months? Um, That's kind of really where you need to start looking at your capital. So it's loads of different, it's an equation really, that you kind of put all of these different things into a churn. And again, I think where a lot of businesses seem to fail or struggle is that they kind of, their startup capital is based around that first week or that first month or that first product. And if you, and you don't always get that return on investment, even now we get, I would say out of five releases, we get two that break even, um, one that'll just do a little bit better than even, um, one that'll do really well, but then one that'll make a loss. So even at, even now, we kind of have to kind of take that into consideration um, in terms of kind of how we how we do that. And it, all of that impacts your startup capital. So it doesn't have to be a lot. It all depends on what your goals are and all depends on kind of how soon you want to be taking money out, how soon you want to, how long you want to stay in business. And there are certain things um, that generate money quicker and um, or a return on investment quicker and You've got to think about lead times and all of that kind of stuff as well. Right. So yeah, um, £9,000 is the answer to you. <laughs> and I'm sure Matt will be okay with me sharing that, but that, but that's, but it's, it's different for, for everything. Well, you finally took the plunge with setting up your own business and you didn't actually go full-time with Vice Press until 2021, last year. You're actually juggling that with the bank job at the same time. And I'd love to know a bit about that because I actually was similar, not with a bank job, but I was juggling a design job with Poster Spy for maybe two years before I decided to go full time with it because it did get to a point where my mind during the day was just like Poster Spy, Poster Spy. And it wasn't fair on the company I was working for, you know, to not really be thinking too much about it. How did you sort of juggle that in your mind? Well, the flippant answer is that I never used to have hobbies. Um, I never used to play football. I didn't do anything like that. So my hobby was doing vice press. And then when I decided actually that I wanted to play golf as well as do vice press, that I couldn't do golf, my day job and vice press. One had to go. (laughs) One had to go. Um, The real answer is kind of, that's based in truth to a degree. Um, I I kind of, I I can't sit still. I can't, as you probably guessed from the video. Um, I like to be occupied all the time. Um, I don't relax very easily. I have to kind of be doing something, whether that's, um, so, so vice press, so setting up a business was a good outlet. So regardless, however, I kind of started doing, I started working in jobs, not proper jobs, but started working when I was like 11, um, doing paper rounds and stuff. So I've always had daytime thing, nighttime thing or daytime thing, morning thing. Um, I just like to keep busy. I like to do stuff. Um, so I kind of 
then it, you know, it was the writing and bits and bobs like that. Um, and I've got quite, so setting up a business just seems kind of like it was a, it was a logical thing. I'd kind of work nine till five ish. I mean, it was longer than that, but then evenings and weekends, um, we'd, I'd, I'd kind of do the business stuff and they never crossed over, but I was working two full-time jobs. Um, it, it went from being something that we ran out of my garage to, um, to us having what we've got now, like a thousand square foot warehouse. Um, so it was kind of more of a case of keeping me busy, keeping me busy because I liked to do things and keep occupied. Um, but then, um, then lockdown happened. Uh, we were getting to the point really where something had to give because, um, we were thinking, do we employ somebody for vice press? Um, we employed my wife. Um, so my wife, um, so Nat, she started working full time for us just before lockdown. Uh, which was as a result, kind of, we were not forced into that position, but um, I went, so I got on well just prior to lockdown. Um, she had to, she, bless her, she left her job so she could look after me while I was unwell because we didn't know what the outcome of that was going to be. Um, and it kind of made sense that she worked for Vice Press and things alongside uh, while we was doing that. Um, and then through lockdown, we just grew it kind of went up at a, a real kind of, we saw a real turn in the business during lockdown. Um, I guess more people were at home, more people were doing kind of shopping online and things. So we were kind of really starting to think something's going to have to give somewhere. Um, we came out of lockdown and I found that I just didn't have the passion for my job that I had before. Um, and also I did want to have downtime. I wanted to have time where I could relax and sit and do nothing and tinker around in the house and, and go and go and play golf, like all kidding aside, go and play golf. Um, which I'm still shit at, crap at, bad at, edit that as you feel appropriate. Um, <laughs> um, so, but I enjoy, and it's a good thing. Like I go with, uh, before my brother, my brother was moving to New Zealand. So in the three months that before he was moving there, we went and we spent a lot of time together because we didn't spend a huge amount of time together before that. Um, my uncle and then friends and stuff as people get old and get married and have babies and, um, things, it kind of, um, golf's peak athleticism. So it's, um, it was kind of, it's just an excuse, really. That was just the catalyst to the things around it. Um, but that's, so we decided that, um, I would take the opportunity that I was provided to, to leave, um, to leave my day job and do this. Um, again, fortunate in some ways or many ways that we've kind of got, a, we have got a nest egg that we can dip into a household income is probably a quarter at best what it was when I was working full-time and when me and Nat were both working full-time. So massive reduction in what we have coming into the house. But we've also, we're really boring people. Like our outgoing, we've, our outgoings were holidays. We like traveling. That's it. And we go out and eat, as you can tell. That's why I've got a black t-shirt on. Um, this, um, we, we, we quite frugal, um, in terms of how we live, but, um, it kind of with yeah. I mean that probably helps with the business side of things. At least yeah. not at least not dipping into the uh 
the money too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're kind of pretty good. I mean, you can't see this. This is kind of my little corner of the house for the time being. This has got all my kind of toys and I say collectibles. They're not the toys um, in it and guitars and things like that. But we, um, yeah, so we took, yeah, so I went, so we, we, me and Matt had a conversation. We sat down, I remember it, went to Pizza Express and we kind of laid it, looked at all the finances and things. Because Matt, very much still 80% of his time is um is uh, on his on his own um art career and things along those lines he's still very much in demand very much working and things along those lines but there's a lot of um but that 20% that he does is kind of Matt, that's kind of the decision making stuff and the proactive stuff and then there's all of the um i guess the uh it gives us a lot of time to do the manual labor stuff in terms of um and also me and that get to spend a lot of time together which um is great no it is it's really good <laughs> the, the the face you pulled won't uh won't work so well on the audio but we'll we'll clip that <laughs> for the video <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it is good we're very fortunate in that regard um but it's taken a lot of foresight and a lot of planning and things so um so yeah and it, it was it's one of the best things uh, there are things i miss a lot like what i did was a very social job i used to travel all around the country i used to go meet different people and different companies and um i'd be all over the place um so i do miss that i miss london i i, I live in a bit of a weird place i say i live near sheffield i'm kind of bang smack in the middle of sheffield nottingham and lincoln i'm about half an hour from all of them um center of the universe and it's on the main line down to retford uh, down to retford retford's where i live don't stalk me um main line down to london i used to work in london like two three days a week so i do miss that um but uh but then there are the the upsides far outweigh the down when you do have a property you want to work on yep how do you both come to a conclusion and say let's go for this let's go for that i mean recently you've just released these uh blu-ray box sets and mm. i assume that's mainly a little bit dictated by the studio potentially you know which titles yep. you choose to go with so yeah i'd love to know more about that it's an interesting one really because um everything we do either both of us or one of us is a fan of and we know the property really well for the most part we both know it and then there are exceptions where like transformers for example um i, I don't know any I, I only watched the film for the first time a few weeks back, a couple of months ago. Um, and, and the other way around, like with Wallace and Gromit or Thunderbirds, that's kind of more led by, by me, but we at least don't actively dislike it. That's not to say anything that we haven't done. We dislike there's loads we do. Um, you have to have, there has to be a commercial element to it as well. Um, so you have to have a blend and there's kind of like, we work on a bit of a, or at least mentally I do in my head like a three-tier structure you've kind of got your evergreen stuff that's going to do well you've got your stuff that you'll probably be able to release one two three posters of over a two three year period which is typically what licenses um and then you've got something that won at best and that's for a laugh because you like the film um that kind of thing so um it's kind of looking at that and making sure you kind of take a balanced approach we always have a we always have a list of properties that we want to do um, that we'd like to do and that we'd like to work on. And 
we just try and actively pursue those. We're really lucky that we've got found really good partners in Universal. Um, I say we're not we're not partners. Uh, we they're we're licensees of them, but they're very good with us. Uh, Studio Canal and everyone that we've worked with has kind of really got into what we're doing. And we're finding it starting to find it much easier now as well in terms of getting licenses that we want with us a few conversations that we've had recently that have been kind of uh, golden eggs for me. Is that even a thing? That have been great white buffaloes. That have been great white buffaloes for me and Matt. That's a hot tub time machine reference there. Um, that we've both wanted to do. And there's the there's all possibilities now that we'll be able to do them. Um and also it's kind of as well, there's there's kind of um there's the cost as well of it. From a licensing perspective, Bottleneck Gallery have been a really good partner to have. Um, because without Bottleneck Gallery, Vice Press wouldn't be where we are today. We've kind of evolved by working with them and collaborating with them. They've opened us up to a whole new audience. But um also from a licensing perspective, I think it's good it's been mutually beneficial because um, we've been able to negotiate contracts where they can also develop products under our license and release products. Um, and equally, likewise, we've worked with them on some of their licenses and we've released products. So um, it's kind of, it's led some really good collaborations like the whole Drew Strews and Back to the Future. Um, there's kind of been some of the Batman prints that we've done as well. Uh, and we've got more planned more down the line where we're kind of using some of theirs as well, like Gremlins and Beetlejuice and things. So from a licensing perspective, that's been that's been really good um, as well. And how does it actually work? Because, I have, yeah, like you said, I've seen a lot of shared things. You'll release a print and sometimes mm. Bottleneck will have like a few to sell to the US and stuff. I assume it's just yeah. a regional thing that you do with them. Is that how um, it works typically? No, not necessarily. So, um, so without kind of going into, I guess, too much um, spoiler territory. No, without going into too much details in terms of how the inner workings work. Um, we uh, we have on our licenses where they are a license, licensee affiliated brand, which means that they're essentially, then with the licenses in our name, but they can sell stuff on their site. And then, so when they want, when we develop everything we do, is developed by us. Um, we kind of release that and that gets released. Sometimes we might release it jointly. So all of the stuff released through Vice Press is stuff me and Matt's done. The stuff released by Bottleneck is some of it stuff that Vice Press has done, some of it stuff that Bottleneck have done. Um, so there's kind of a bit of a blend there. But we we kind of not too precious about going, oh well, that's a Vice Press thing, don't you know? Because it's 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 not, it doesn't serve anyone to to kind of do that um and i think it's kind of it's kind of counterproductive and the artists know and we kind of the way that we talk about that and we release those and it it works all around because it means that there's such a wider pool of titles that we can dive into and it also kind of financially makes some licenses that we've uh, not been able to work on before much more accessible because we can hit the minimum guarantees the minimum spends and things like that. Uh, and likewise for them, it means that we can kind of help with their minimum guarantees and um, make their licensors happy as well. So I know what a minimum guarantee is, but for people who are listening to this and don't know what a minimum guarantee is, how does that work in terms of your licenses? The easiest way to explain this is in numbers. So uh, bear with me. So imagine 
you make, uh, for sake of ease, we'll use round numbers. So imagine you make £100,000 in net sales. Um, whenever you do a licensing proposal, you kind of have to go through how much um, you're expected to earn, how much you're going to turn over, what the licensee rate is and things like that. So there's certain figures you have to agree on. So these are just fictitious figures that I'm going to use for this. So say you do 100 grand in sales or you expect to do £100,000 in sales when you're doing your business plan. Um, and the royalty rate for sake of argument is 20%. So you've got £20,000 in royalty per year that you expect to achieve. What the licensor will ask you as a sign of good faith is to sign an agreement where you have a minimum guarantee. So you guarantee you're going to spend, uh, you're going to make X amount of royalty. So you guarantee, you expect you might make 20,000. So I mean, uh, a, a licensor might say, okay, well, we want a minimum guarantee of 15,000. So what they'll ask you to do is to pay that £15,000 in instalments over the course of the license. It might be that you pay £10,000 up front and then you pay £5,000 at the end. Uh, and that's offset against whatever your royalty is. So if in quarter one um, you've done £10,000, you've paid £10,000 advance on your minimum guarantee, at end of quarter one, the royalty is 10,000. You've made your way up to zero. So you don't pay the license or anything because you've covered your advance. So you don't pay anything. Then next quarter, that quarter, it might be that you made 5,000. So you owe them 5,000. Then you get to the end of the year and they'll want the rest of that minimum guarantee, which will offset against the next. So it's just a show of good faith. So whenever you kind of see a company that's paying a royalty rate and you hear royalty rates and licenses and things like that. Chances are the bull, a, a good proportion of that they've already paid. So it's not a case of say we do, I don't know, Batman, picking Batman out the air. It's not that we only have to pay the royalty and what we've made. We've already had to pay a chunk of money out to get that license. There are other variations and other ways you can do it, but that's kind of broadly speaking what a minimum guarantee is. So, um, so yeah, that's 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 where it is, and that's going back to what the question that you asked right at the very beginning about how much do you need to start up a business. That's the kind of things that you maybe have to bear in mind because you might have a minimum guarantee with a a licensor of fifty thousand pounds, and that's broken up to you've got a three year license, so you've got to pay them that fifty grand regardless. So if you don't make that money back in the first year, how are you going to pay it? Where, where's that going to come from? Um, each licensor is different. They're just round numbers for the sake of ease and explaining it. Um, they're fictitious and whatever they're made up. So each licensor is different. People will be able to negotiate different rates and various other things. You might pay more. Uh, yeah, there's loads of loads of variables. And when you do get a license, so say, for example, I've seen you've released quite a lot of Jurassic Park prints over the years. Same with uh, Jaws as well. So with a popular title like that, and I, I, I would assume that's one of your sort of evergreen titles that you were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, earlier. Yeah. So one that people are probably going to buy. How do you decide on making a new print for Jurassic Park? Because there's so many and you must, you know, 
get to a point where you're like, how can there be another good Jurassic Park print? How can there be another good Jaws print? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, you you released that Andrew Swainson Jaws, and that was brilliant. That's like for me one of my favorite prints of like the last couple of years. Quite honestly, I think it's, it's brilliant. very good, isn't it? Thank yeah, you. Very good. Um, but yeah, what sort of are you open to new ideas? If artists come yeah. to you and say, hey, look, you know, we've got this Jaws yeah. idea. The thing you've got to bear in mind, right? is for every five customers or five people that are collecting posters, there's always going to be one new customer. There's going to be one that that's their first print, right? So if you've got a community of poster collectors and they're all, oh God, and the Jurassic Park, oh God, and those jaws. It's like, okay, by the time you started collecting, there'd already been 20 of them. You picked up one, didn't you? So everything, there's always going to be new people, new people that want it. So if someone comes to our website and it's a Jaws fan or a Jurassic Park fan, and they look at Andrew Swainson's and his big ones sold out. They're like, oh man, that's sold out. But then a couple of months from now, there might be another one. And they're like, actually, that's the next Andrew Swainson. So I want that one because I like that one. Of course, the ideas have to be good, have to be original, have to have something to them, um, about them. We don't just, we, me and Matt stand by every single print we've released, we stand by and we all say, that is a good art. We love it. Sales be damned. We like everything we have done. Um, so we're, we're really happy with it. We're happy to put that out there. It's kind of, um, it all depends on whether there's a fan base, whether there's collectors and whether there's people that are out there to, to purchase it. It's kind of, um, you've kind of just got to make sure that you've got something that customers want and that you, you, you have to, you don't have to, but it's good to have something there that customers can buy if they find you and they want to kind of come across you or it's their first time they start collecting, they've signed up to news list, newsletter. And the reality is there's more Jurassic Park fans, there's more Back to the Future fans, there's more Jaws fans than there is um, Fargo fans or whatever it may be, or, you know, Mulholland Drive or something. There's more, there's going to be more fans of those films than there is of um of things like more rats so you kind of you've got to balance it balances out in order to kind of make you a um sustainable as a business but again you have to stand by your art the art has got to be good and we'd never rest on our laurels with that regardless of whether it's the 20th Jurassic Park print or the first chasing Amy print or something like that is there any print you've released that you think is like your absolute favorite? I mean, there must be one, right? That you really sort of resonate with and go, that is one I really love. Yeah, I guess it's like children, isn't it? You always secretly have a favorite one. I don't have kids, but um, you kind of, or nephews, you always secretly have a favorite nephew, but you'd never tell the other nephew that. Um, but the honest answer is it, it ebbs and flows and it changes. And it there's always something that's, um, there's always something that's, Best. I think in recent memory, um, one of my favorite prints is the George Bletsis Scott Pilgrim. That's um that's that's one of my kind of favorites. Flory's um Flory's Batman 89. There is a version of that that exists with titles and credits, which you'll never see the light of day outside of me, Matt, and Flory having a version as a G Clay. But again, there's there's that. There are one of my favorite pieces isn't a movie poster up in our office when we did the 2000 AD show uh, there's an artist called Tom Newell who's from Sheffield he did us he kind of does Posca pen drawings he did us a big um like 
four foot by four foot. In fact, it's probably bigger than that. Judge Dredd mural that's on plywood cut out. Um, that's hung up in our, we bought that off. We didn't sell that. We, we marked that as sold straight away. That's up in our office. That's probably one of my favorite pieces that we've done, but you go through it, right? Like every time we've got this vault range that's come out today and Matt's done, um, Matt and Flory again, the vault range, I kind of, um, it must wind Flory up. Uh, it's very much an equal. That artwork is very much equal. It's as much one as the other. Um, and Matt can talk more about that, but you've got prints and you've got artwork in there that the Goodfellas and the, the Blade Runner specifically are amazing. They're brilliant. Um, so you kind of, you do go through these, you go through these patterns, you go through these changes. Andrew Swainson, you've mentioned it, Jaws, that's another great one. Working with Carlos Esquero when he kind of was around um, on Judge Dredd. There's kind of stuff that maybe isn't always necessarily for the art. It's the relationship you had with that person as well. Actually, one of the vice press prints that, I, again, is one of my favorites that people might not realize is a vice press print is the jock 28 days later that was for a uh, bottleneck gallery. Um, that's again, that's up there. Um, is one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, it, there's loads. The more you start talking about it and thinking about it, there's loads that spring to mind. Um, Drew Millwood, they live as well. Um, but yeah, loads. And the thing, the other thing I'm conscious of is whenever anyone asks me about my favorites, you don't want to miss anyone out and you don't want to offend anyone. Um, because there's so many people that have done such great, such great work. Raid 12 Monkeys is a good, a really great one as well. So many, man, there's loads, absolutely loads. Our office in, we're kind of, um, our walls, we, we rotate in our office, the art that's up on the walls. And we've got, I think we've got so many different prints up there and we swap them around and change them and things like that and when you do decide to work with different artists because obviously i assume matt gets sort of like dibs on a couple of things if he wants to work on a certain property <laughs> does he um it, oh well, how's, how's best to explain this if matt it's kind of not so much dibs like matt wouldn't get say over maybe somebody else like no no but i mean would he get a first choice if he wanted to work if there, if there was a property for example would matt kind of be like i'm doing that one we're doing <laughs> can we do that oh right yeah yeah, yeah? Blake, well Blake's not as it not as in he get it over someone else i mean he would you know ah, go out of his way yeah. to say i want to do that one. yeah it helps because if matt's i mean whatever way you look at it matt's a really popular artist and he has a strong collector base so if matt's interested in a title then it makes sense for us to do that if it's something he's passionate about. Like Blade Runner 2049, we did that. Um, he's got he's working on a um Big Lebowski print at the moment that uh, I think is one of his best concepts ever. It's gonna be amazing when that's done. It's very simple. Um, but Matt and Matt's style evolves all the time. He kind of goes through these phases where he'll have the Dutch angles and then his central points and stuff. So that kind of is really good. Um so yeah, he's very, some of the titles we've just actually been going through, we've been reviewing some licenses to pick up um, recently. And it, it is very much for the most part, not for the most part, but a large part of it is, yeah, I'd like to work on that one. But then there also is lots of conversations around, oh, Raid would be really cool at doing that. Or Nada Mctari would be really cool at doing that. Uh, Drew Millwood would be good at doing that or whoever, you know, we kind of, there is certain titles as well when we're looking at them 
we have artists in mind. We had a meeting at Brand Licensing the other day about um, a license that is really exciting to both of us. And straight away we thought, oh, Andrew Swainson would be cool for that. Um, he doesn't know about this. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be hitting you up about something, Andrew, if you're listening. Um, it's kind of, yeah, so there is a lot of that. It, it's a, it's, so it's a bit of both to answer your question. Now, although this episode has been mostly like the business side of things, I'm sure there's a lot of artists listening to this. If I was an artist and I was looking to get picked up by Vice Press or have a print released with you guys, what would you recommend I actively do? What should I be doing with my work, social media, stuff like that? How do I get in front of you? How do I get on your radar? Uh, it's a good question. Taggers, first and foremost. Both me and Matt always look through Instagram. We find artists on Instagram. Um, so taggers is a good way. Um, emailing us as well. Like the thing is, we get a lot of email. We try, we try to respond to everybody. We we know we don't always do it, but we try to respond to everybody personally. Um, and we kind of sometimes very, it's not very often somebody emails us and we kind of pick them up for work. It does happen. It's happened a couple of times. Sometimes we're like, oh, cool. We really like where you're going. Maybe not at the moment, or we've not got anything that really suits at the minute. Um, what we get a lot is we get, oh, I've just done this amazing poster for um Thelma and Louise can you guys release it it's like one we don't have the Thelma and Louise license and it's not as easy as just going and picking it up two um it's final art so actually where's the ability to tweak it and move it around and you know kind of develop bits and bobs what is a great email is like oh hi guys here's a link to my portfolio have a look let me know what you think if you want to work with me keep us posted well, generally, those emails are much easier to respond to. It's like, oh, thank you very much for sharing. This look, piece looks cool. This piece looks cool. Might be that we've got something to work on now. Maybe that we put it into the, um, you know, to check back in six months, 12 months um, down the line. We're not fobbing people off. We do. We have gone back to artists a year down the line and said, oh, cool. We, we, you emailed us then. We've been keeping an eye on what you've been doing. I think now is about time to pull the trigger. Everybody develops. If you look at Matt's work from 10 years ago, it's completely different to how um how his work is now. Tag us, reach out to us. Um, but yeah, the best way is always we we much prefer portfolios to this is one it's good to get one single piece doesn't always give somebody um a good view of what you can do. Like if you've done one poster for um last of the summer wine it's it's not going to be representative of what you could do for lord of the rings it's not going to be representative of what you could do for dirty dancing or anything like that so portfolios are really good and just keep keep doing work and and, and keep us we do we do keep tabs every time we go to the loo i'm on instagram <laughs> well there you go artists if you want to get in front of vice press tag them in things and james might see it while he's on the loo <laughs> Yeah. The best place to see the artwork, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, Jay's. Well, that brings me nicely to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. No worries. Thank you for having me. I've had actually had a really good time, Jack, and thanks for your patience with the technical issues. It is absolutely fine. Thanks so much, James. Cheers, Jack. Thank you for listening to the Poster Spy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for more. You can help fund this series directly by supporting us on Patreon where you'll also be given access to extended versions of each and every episode, discounts with our partners, and a whole lot more. 
simply head over to patreon.com slash posterspy. If you're looking for daily design inspiration, visit posterspy.com and follow us on Twitter at posterspy for all of the latest updates.